Thanks, Caro. Be great to keep that part of the Bible open uh, in front of you. That'll be really helpful. That's what we're going to be focusing today and, uh, and thinking about uh, the goodness of, uh, of God and obeying his commands. So I'm going to pray that we would be able to understand what's been read for us today. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're good, that you, the author of this part of the Bible, are present with us even today by your Holy Spirit. Help us now, Father, to make sense of this. Help our hearts to be soft, our ears to be open. Change and direct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I wanted to start off uh, this morning by thinking about green grass. Uh, it's nice to have some rain. Perhaps there's some, uh, some grass growing somewhere. Uh, that would be really good. I wonder, do you ever think, is the grass always greener somewhere else? Is the grass always greener somewhere else? It may be to do with your job. You think, man, if only I had that job. It might be to do with your study. I need to change courses. I need to find the perfect course. Maybe it's your relationship. You're thinking, this would do a lot better if the other half wasn't here. Or maybe it's just your life. You just keep thinking, man, I reckon somewhere else, something else, it could be better. It could be lots better. Is the grass always greener? Well, I want to suggest to you that the answer to that is a very theological nope. Uh, no, it's not. It's not always greener. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, all the grass is God's. Right? So we think the grass is always greener somewhere else, right? Uh, and what I want you to know is all the grass is God's. And for some of us, it's really important that we don't leave where we are. Actually, for some of us, what we need to do is to go long in obedience right where we are. And if you're married, that's certainly the case. Long obedience in the same direction. For some of us, it may be that God does want you to, to have a radical change, that there is something really significant that God is calling you to do. The problem is on your own, on your own, we won't know. And if we're forever looking somewhere else to find what's good, you will never be satisfied or content where you are. This story that we're looking at uh, today from Numbers chapter 14 in our Old Testament series is precisely this point for the people of God. It's precisely this point. Well, let me bring you up to speed. Now, we have uh, in our church an overview of the Bible in pictures. It goes from Genesis, creation, the first book of the Bible, all the way through to Revelation and the new creation at the end. Here's the split in the Old and New Testaments. And so far, we're up to here. Last week, uh, Tim took us uh, through a message that got us from Abraham's story. We went uh, from there to Egypt where they were, God's people were slaves in Egypt and they came out and last week Tim told us about how God brought laws, including the Ten Commandments, to his people to shape how they were to live their saved life. So this week, we come to the edge of the promised land, a land that had been promised to Abraham over 400 years before. It's been a long time coming. So if you look in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 2, uh, we see something pretty extraordinary. They get to the edge of the land and the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Now, uh, in Israel, it was divided up into 12 tribes. So if they have a leader from each tribe, there are how many guys going in? 
It's good. Just an early uh, just check up to see how we're doing uh, so far. That number's correct, 12. Very good. Okay, so they, they go in and they take possession. Well, they don't actually. There's an instruction given by God to Moses. It's send the men to explore the land. But then Moses speaks to those who are on the exploration committee. And I want you to see this really carefully. Have a look at me, chapter 13 and verses 18 to 20. This is what Moses says. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Now, look, it's really interesting. God definitely told them to explore the land. And I don't know specifically what God's agenda was. He probably was, go and find out where everything is. You'll need to go in and check it out. If you're going to occupy the land, you need to know something about it. But it's my suggestion that Moses' checklist, what they're supposed to do when they're in the land, is actually really dangerous. Because if you, walk, if you work down column A, you're going to decide the answer is don't go. Don't go into the promised land. Assuming you tick all the boxes down the left side, you're in trouble, right? Whereas if on the right-hand side everything comes out, you'd say, well, let's go. It's going to be awesome. In, in problematic form, what happens in Moses' checklist is the people of God have suggested we should weigh up whether we go or don't go. And I actually think that that's a problem. If you take all of those ideas, have a look at what happens when they come back with the report in verses 26 and following. So they've gone into the land. They've been there for about 40 days, it says. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them, to the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the, in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread about the, about the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, uh, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Now, can you see what's happened here? They've done the investigation of the land, and they found some of it's really good. Now, I just want to explain to you, church, you know when it says here it's a land flowing with milk and honey? To me, that sounds like a breakfast disaster, doesn't it? All right, some of you don't have small kids anymore, but okay. Uh, a land flowing with milk and honey sounds like a breakfast disaster. What it in fact means is you have to have great pasture, you have to have great pasture to get good milk, right? So soil is good. That's the milk. And then in order to have honey, you need to have lots of trees because it's wild honey and it grows in trees, okay? So a land flowing with milk and honey has great pasture and great trees, 
Okay, that's helpful, right? And then it says, but all, all the, the towns are fortified. And so we have this problem. We've got a, a, a bold young man, a guy called Caleb, who says, let's go. It's time to go. And the others say, well, look, actually, the, other, the guys there are really tall and big, and we felt like grasshoppers. Who did they feel like grasshoppers? It says they felt like grasshoppers in their own eyes. They felt like grasshoppers in their own eyes. So they felt small as they looked at the challenge that was before them. And so here they are. God's promised Abraham. He's led them out of Egypt. And now here they are on the very edge of the promised land. And they've got a uh, pause moment. Have a look at uh, chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole community said to them, If only we died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, guys, this is a terrible situation. They're wailing in the camp. I said to the previous service, I once took a funeral where there was a Tongan lady who was the widow. Now, when we weep as a, as a people generally, we quietly make a little sniffle into our tissues, right? Okay, it's just culturally we do that really quietly. But for her, it was a full-body experience. She came into the auditorium wailing and throwing herself on the coffin, right? Very awkward for the rest of us. Now, more demonstrative cultures will wail loudly. That's the noise you're to imagine across the whole Israelite camp. Okay? They're saying, we should go back home. We should go back to Egypt. Now, quick, quick check up. What had happened in Egypt? What was their status in Egypt? They were slaves. They said, we should go back to Egypt. Our kids might die here. This is going to be terrible. Don't do it. We should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Do you know what that meant for the current leadership? We should choose a new leader. They weren't about to have a democratic election. They're going to stone him and kill him. We should swap leaders and go back. That'll be a better option for us. Now, the question is, how did they get there? How did they get to this state where they were willing to turn their back on the very promise of God? Well, I want to suggest to you there are at least three things that, that have happened for this people. They have had a case of collective spiritual amnesia. Okay? Now, I used to live in Wollongong. I took this photo. I, I'm so, I love Wollongong. Wollongong, uh, every, the steel works there. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Anyone a Wollongonglian? That's how you know God's presence is in Wollongong, okay? But here's the thing. God was leading his people by a, a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night. They were being fed each day by manna still. They had defeated the greatest army in the world out of Egypt. And now here they are standing on the very edge of the promised land and they go, oh, I'm not sure God's with us and whether we can do it. Amnesia, right? Small God syndrome. They've just forgotten God. And then it's a case of denial. They can see the promised land. They have a good report. In fact, the guys had just brought in a, a set of grapes that were so big from the promised land, it was on a pole that two of them needed to carry. You're not going to find that up at Woolies, right? It was extraordinary. The land was fruitful. And so they're in denial about its goodness. And then their priorities are wrong. They're saying, hey, our kids could suffer. It'll be much safer if I take them back to slavery. They're incredibly faithless at this point. 
And I want you to see what happens next. But before we do that, I thought I'd have fun. Uh, did, did anyone, when they were growing up, they used to pick teams? And uh, everyone would line up and they'd pick teams. Did anyone do this when you were a kid? Yeah, okay. Who gets picked first? The biggest and strongest. Okay, and so there are some teams where, you know, you've got, you're in year three and there's a six-foot, you know, person in your, in, your, in, your, in your year and you're about to play basketball. And you go, well, I'm, I'm great. We won the heads. I'm picking that bloke. Because if he's on our team, everything is going to be okay. It doesn't matter who gets picked after that, right? Are you with me? And so there's a sense in which what matters is who's on your side, right? So you pick your team and you make, it, make sure that your team is on your side. You've got the good people on your side. Well, I want you to keep that thought in mind and see what the faithful guys say. Have a look at verse 5. When Mo- uh, then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If God is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Do you see what he says? The first thing that happens is the leadership of Israel throws itself on their face. Now, I would do that, but it'd be awkward for my jacket and my pants. No, no, no. Here's the thing, right? Why would they do that? It's utter humility. You don't throw yourself on the dirt in front of people because you're about to be really proud. They just go, guys, we've got to stop this. I would do anything to have you stop this path. And we see that Caleb and um, and Joshua tear their clothes. And you think, that's really odd. Why would you do that? In this time, clothing was worth a lot of money. In fact, we see that um, clothing is offered in a couple of stories in in the Old Testament as a reward or as something valuable. So to tear your clothes is to say, everything I have is of no value compared to my grief. So the guys tear their clothes and they say that God's plan is good. The land is awesome. Have a look at these grapes. Get into it. It's great. It's a good land. We should go. And on top of that, he says their protection is gone. The people in the land have lost their protection. When God promised to Moses that he would give them the land, he said in Genesis 15, 6, he said, we won't go in for 400 years until the sin of the Amorites has reached its fulfillment. Now that's happened. And so their protection is gone. They aren't protected anymore. Go and take the land. On top of that, who did God pick for their side? Who's on the side of the Israelites? Hard to work out. God is, isn't he? So if you get to pick someone from the lineup, okay, we're going to take the land. I'm not sure whether we'll be positive or, you know, will, will we get there? God's saying, you picked me. I'm on your side. You should have great confidence. I'm on your side. You can do anything. And that's what Caleb and Joshua say to the people. God's presence is with them. Uh, Steve, could you jump me out and jump me back again? For whatever reason, it's, uh, it's stalled there. If you can get me back, straight back in. Thank you. Um, so God has said to them, he is with them, uh, which is fantastic. Now, uh, I want you to think about what is the, the most dangerous thing that can happen to a relationship. The most dangerous thing that can happen to a relationship is contempt. I don't know if you are aware of this, but it's the biggest relationship killer. It's when we decide that we can't honour or respect each other. Contempt 
is the killer. Watch out for that word in this passage that we're about to read, the next bit, in verses 10 to 12. In verses 10 to 12, uh, we see the following. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them, so the pep talk didn't work out. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I'll make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Here's what happens. The people are talking about stoning the leadership and God intervenes. He stops it happening. The glory of the Lord shones. God intervened and he intervened for the faithful on behalf of Caleb and Joshua. He says, I'm going to stop that. And then he says to Moses, I'm going to wipe out all the unfaithful ones. So he has a message against the faithless. And then he says something extraordinary to Moses. He says, well, I'm going to keep you around. I'm going to make you into the new Moses. Oh, sorry, to the new Abraham. I'm going to turn you into a nation greater and stronger than they. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? How would you respond if God says, all the rest of them, hopeless. But you, my boy. You, I'm I'm making the whole plan over with you at the centre. What would we say? Cool, I didn't like him anyway. They were just windy, they were going to stone me before anyway. I'm really glad for you to to, uh, clean up the muck, God. What would we say? What do you think you'd say? Well, I want you to see what Moses did say. And in the process, I want you to think about what it means to be a priest. What does a priest do? Have a look with me at verses 13 and following. Moses said to the Lord, hang on, God, then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They've already heard that you, Lord, are with the people, and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, and that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all of these people to death, leaving none of them alive, The nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord wasn't able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now, Lord, now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you've declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Verse 19, in accordance with your great love, Forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from now until the time they left Egypt. So what does Moses say? God, I don't want you to start over. God, I want you to look out for the honour and esteem of your name. If you do this, your name will be dishonoured. And God, more than that, I know that your character is dependable. Your character is dependable. And so he says, God, you're a forgiving God. Please forgive. What do we learn from this? We learn that God is about his name and his glory in all the earth. There's an extraordinary passage in Ezekiel many, many years later than this situation. And in Ezekiel 36, the people are in trouble. And God is going to rescue them. But listen to the way he talks about rescuing them. He says this. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, 
but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. God says, I'm going to do it for my name. It's going to be for my honor and my glory that I'm going to save this people. Do you remember God gave his name to Abraham? He says, that is my name in all the earth. And God's plan is that everybody would lift up and honor the name of the Lord. So the question then is, why did God do this? Why did he say to Moses, hey, Moses, I'm going to wipe them out? And then Moses had to speak up. Why did that happen? I want to suggest to you there's three reasons why that happened. The first is that we might know the character of Moses. Is he worthy of leading the people of God? Absolutely. A man who chooses not his own glory, but the salvation of the people he leads? Good leader. So it reveals the character of Moses. Secondly, it reveals the character of God. God says that he will spare them. He says that I have forgiven them. And so we learn more about the character of God. The third reason is we have hope here. It's a lesson for us to intercede. Now, to intercede is to speak on behalf of others. God says, I'm going to wipe them out. Moses speaks up and they're not. If you want to know, should I pray about situations that seem impossible, here's the reason. We need to be people who speak to God. How should we speak to God? We should speak about his glory. We should speak about his character, and we should speak about his plan. When we pray, Lord God, your name be honored. Lord God, you are dependable and loving and faithful. When we say, Lord God, we know what you're doing in this world. When you pray that way, the Lord will hear. There was a beautiful prayer this morning uh, in, um, in our previous uh, service when Annette prayed, and it reminded me, Jeff, you did a great job too, uh, but it reminded me, um, uh, she read from um, Philippians chapter 2, and if you want to know what the plan of God is, uh, we hear it this way, talking about Jesus, it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we pray, when we pray for God's glory, when we pray for his character to be dependable, when we pray for his plans to be worked out, God delights in answering the prayers of his people. Have you ever been to a fun park? Have you ever had this dreaded sign? If you're an adult or a kid, it might have struck you different ways. Uh, when you're a kid, oh my goodness, I can't go on that. Or alternatively, if you're not really a roller coaster kid, you're going, yes, there's a good reason I don't have to say I'm a chicken. Yes? And some of you as adults go, fantastic, I'm over the height now, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to go and, and ride this roller coaster. Is there any roller coaster fans here? Wow, you're great. Good on you, Erica. I'm really pleased for you guys. I feel unwell just looking at that, okay? But here's the thing. The way it works out is these height restrictions exclude the kids and let the adults have fun, right? I want you to see that the opposite happens in this passage. Have a look with me at verses 20 and then 28 to 31. In verse 20, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. God is merciful. But then we see that he will still punish them. There are consequences for their disobedience. Have a look at verse 28. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very thing I heard you say. This is talking about them. They said, in this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, 
who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. Do you see this? You adults, you faithless adults, you've shown me contempt. Caleb hasn't, and he's going to go in. Uh, you know, we, we were listening to them um, complaining in, the, in, uh, in slavery a couple of weeks ago, and we said, does God hear our cry? Well, here's the real, more scary thought. God definitely hears our cry. But you know he hears our grumbles too? It says here, I've heard, you grumble. I've heard your grumbles, and there'll be consequences for you. I've heard your grumbles. And then he says, I'm going to kill all of those who are over the age of 20. And you go, what? What's the dividing line at 24? Well, I assume it's the age of the people who are unable to take a vote and say whether we'll go into the promised land or not. And they all said, except for two guys, let's go home. Let's go back to Egypt. And God says, that's okay. You voted with your heart, and your heart will condemn you. And everyone who wasn't involved in that decision, they will get the blessing that I've set up. And so God, it says in 36 to 45, sent a plague on the leaders and they died. And the people went, oh, that's awkward. We didn't want that to happen. Well, I tell you what we'll do. We did the wrong thing, God. Now we really want to go and take the promised land. And they go up and they push on and verse 45 says they're beaten, soundly beaten. Because now it's disobedient to go into the land. God said, don't go in. You're not going to take possession of it. So what happens? They lose. And they're punished. God says that they'll wander in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for each of the days that they were unfaithful in exploring the land. So what do we do with this story? How do we make sense of a story, an ancient story from Israel? What do we do with it? Let me suggest some ways that we can think about it. Firstly, I want to say to you right now, whatever your life situation is, the grass is greener where God is. So rather than going, I need to change my situation, what you need to change is invite God into the situation you're in. Everyone listening to me? We can think that, oh, what I need to do is turn over a fresh page. I need to start. Don't do that. Invite God into where you are now. Ask for contentment now, and you may have contentment in the future. Otherwise, and many of you will know this for yourselves, you can pursue contentment all over the world and never find it. God is the one who gives peace and contentment to our hearts. The grass is greener where God is. Secondly, don't wish yourself back to Egypt. Don't wish yourself back to Egypt. Oh, man, before I became a Christian, I used to have Sunday mornings free. I got to sleep in. And now I've got this awkward appointment where, you know, don't wish yourself back to Egypt. I'll throw this in because it's raw. I was at a funeral the other day. Yesterday, uh, Friday. For a friend I went to, I knew through high school. Guy in my year in high school. And I've I got to say, guys, uh, in many ways, it, it looked like he had everything. But he didn't have everything. He didn't have a life that he wanted to keep living. And tragically, tragically, through mental illness and the absolute emptiness of depression and, and all that, he took his own life. And without God, without God, our life can seem overwhelming. With God, it can still seem overwhelming, but you have resources to draw on. 
Don't wish yourself back to a godless life. Ask for God to help you in the life that you have right now. Don't wish yourself back to Egypt. Thirdly, I want to suggest to you that these guys failed because they felt like grasshoppers in their own eyes. And I want to ask you today to find, if you find yourself feeling hopeless before the challenge that is before you, don't ask, how do I feel? Ask, who does God say I am? Not how do I feel, not what resources do I bring to this challenge. Who is the God who is on my side? Who is the God who is on my side? Let God define your identity. Fourthly, I've got to say this. Uh, there's, a, there's a wilderness full of the bones of Israel, and I need to say to you guys, don't let contempt settle in your hearts. Don't let contempt towards God settle in your hearts. There will be a day when he asks us, have you trusted me? Don't let contempt settle in your hearts. And, and, and lastly, and probably most excitingly, I think let's be adventurous. <laughs> this church is called New Life, and our vision is to see new life in Jesus come to every home in Oran Park and the growing southwest. And you might think to yourself, how could we do that? Do you know how many houses are added to this place every day? It's a lot. It's about six a week. It's going to do that for the next, well, until Jesus comes back or there's a recession or something like that. It'll keep going for a while. Okay. Here's the thing. As we look at that and we say, we want to see new life in Jesus in every home, I would say, do we have the resources to do that? And the answer is, uh, not really sure. I hope so. My question is, is God with us? Does he long to see people come from darkness to light? Oh, good. Yes, right. Okay, so if we know that our God is for us, if we know his resources are on our side, if we have a vision to go and see, then I'd say let's go be adventurous. It's one of our, our values, faithful, adventurous, compassionate, enduring. What kind of church do we want to be? Going and taking the, the promised land felt terrifying. Maybe going out there and walking down the street and saying hi to someone at school tomorrow sounds terrifying. Maybe speaking to someone over the water cooler at work sounds terrifying. Who's with you? Oh, good answer. It's a great answer. Thank you. He's with you. Does he want to see people saved? The answer is yes. New life in every home. Let's be an adventurous church, not because we have it all, but because he does. I, I want to invite you, church. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to choose to find your story in his story. Make sense of your world in God's story and do so with his resources. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we don't have a promised land. We, we, we've got a suburb around us. The, the path isn't to go and take it over. It's to bring new life. Father, we thank you that you will go before us, that you will empower us. We pray that you lift our eyes so that we would see Jesus honoured and new life in every home. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.